I feel that robots get such a, such a bad rap uh, when in fact progress has always shown that people get an easier job making more money in better conditions consistently over the last few hundred years as progress and in the industrial revolution has taken hold workers have just had nicer and nicer and nicer situations mm. so when people worry about all the job loss here and the job loss there i say listen our technology is going to create more and more industries we live in a capitalist society that's the voice of Alex Fleiss, the CEO and co-founder of Rebellion Research, an AI-powered robo-advisory firm that's continually outperformed the S&P 500 since 2007. Will machine learning overtake human investors? How will AI impact the labor market? And what is Rebellion's research boldest prediction? Find out here on the Religious Podcast, your number one source for impact leaders harnessing capitalism to sustain the planet, people, and profits. Okay, and before we get lost in all of the predictions, if you are a listener of this podcast, I'd like to offer you the latest Relators Magazine featuring our 2020 rankings of the top 100 impact companies for 25% off when using promo code PODCAST25, all lowercase PODCAST25. You'll receive this magazine in the mail, an instant PDF download of the magazine, access to all of our previous digital editions, and most importantly, people, evidence that capitalism is indeed evolving. Again, folks, go to real-leaders.com slash subscribe and get 25% off using code PODCAST25. All right, let's get back to the show. Please, ladies and gentlemen, give it up for the real Alex Flies. So we'll get started here. Let's do a countdown. Um, and we will go in five, four, three, two, and one. And welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Relators Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Across the screen from me today, we have the co-founder and CEO of Rebellion Research, Alexander Flies. Alex, thanks for being with us today. Kevin, thank you so much for having me on today. Really appreciate it. And Alex, you're in New York, correct? Yes, we're based in Midtown Manhattan. Midtown Manhattan, and your family's been in New York for quite some time, is that correct, you were just telling me? Oh God, yeah, no, I'm a seventh generation New Yorker. Uh, My father's side, we've got a family member who fought in uh, the Union Army on the Northern side of the Civil War. Yeah. Wow. So very awesome. Colonel Auerhahn. Very, very proud of, uh, very proud of him. He's, I think my four greats grandfather. I'll have to double check with my dad. It could be, uh, I believe it's four greats grandfather, but, uh, yeah, very proud. Well, Alex, uh, history fascinates me. And, uh, on this show, if you're a listener of this show, you'll know that sometimes we like to have our own, uh, we like to conspire a little bit on this show. And, and one thing I like to say is that, uh, there's no human that's good at predicting the future. If there's one thing that I I do know, um, but machines and algorithms are not humans. So the first question I have for you, Alex is, uh, why do you have so much trust, uh, in machine learning, uh, for your algorithms to predict long-term success? Yeah. You know, first of all, machine learning, you know, gets a, a big, uh, cloud of smoke built up by the media. What is it really? Just a probability estimator, a machine, if you will, for coming up with an intelligent way of figuring out the probability of a potential outcome. And so what we do at Rebellion Research is monitor the global economy and make thousands of predictions every day. And not just we make these predictions, but we also have uh, our confidence ratio, our risk ratio, if you will. So the machine might say there's a 60% chance that Latin America is gonna underperform the next three months, but its confidence ratio might be too low to consider that prediction to be something that could be a, a buy for a client, uh, mm-hmm. if you will. So um, you know, that, that's really how we look at things. We, we, we look at machine learning Uh, From a very simplistic standpoint, uh, you know, we're trying to say the financial markets uh, are dominated by human uh, decision makers and it's 85, 90, 70, 75 percent, whatever the numbers are over the last century of human underperformance versus the market. So clearly uh, human beings are worse than just buying the SPY. And in fact, that's what I always say to my friends and family. I say, listen, if I had not invented rebellion research and 
started this product, I would just put all of my money in the SBY and concentrate on whatever job uh, came to me. Because sure. why would you waste money on underperformance? Uh, you'll just have less money at the end of the day. And so, whereas our AI has outperformed, but consistently outperforms the markets. So, you know, as long as our AI works, I keep my all of my money in our AI. Uh, you know, the minute our AI seemed to not be working, I would go up. All, all less, all less than P five hundred. So, yeah, I'm a very matter of fact person. Uh, maybe it's my mathematic background, or you know, my my, my German background, but uh, very matter of fact. So, Alex, maybe uh, let's take a step back a little bit and break this down for our audience in layman's terms. Exactly what Rebellion Research does. Sure. Uh, Rebellion Research, uh, rebellionresearch.com as a company has two wings, asset management, where we have both hedge fund and managed brokerage accounts, uh, clients in 43 countries, managing money for about 13 years. And then there's the research side. Now, just so you know, all of the asset management is powered by the AI. There's no human input. And, you know, the AI's name is Star. I'm sure you've seen that in some of our press. But uh, the research is, uh, you know, AI-focused, technology-focused. But, you know, we've also interviewed General Petraeus, uh, astronaut Scott Kelly, Ken Langone. You know, so we're really just trying to educate our readers uh, at the end of the day with an AI and technology focus. Yeah, I mean, AI seems to be something that uh, scares people uh, in this day and age. Uh, would you agree with that? And then what did you experience? I, I feel like, you know, AI, when you think of AI, you also think of uh, job security. Like, how difficult was it for you and your other co-founder to, to you know, drill this into people that, hey, look, we can build something that can outperform your, your uh, you know, financial advisor, your, your uh, financial holder? Well, first of all, to cover your question about security, uh, you know, I want to jump back to Pim Fox, who used to have a talk show on Bloomberg, and he had my partner Spencer Greenberg on. His, you know, twenty-five second intro before Spencer came onto the set was a mixture of Terminator, the Whopper from Matthew Broderick's War Games. And a number of other very scary uh, robotic and AI-based, of course, 2001 A Space Odyssey. So when you're just an average American, you know, maybe not even any scientific background beyond high school or a little college, and all you see are very scary, uh, you know, images, how are you not going to be petrified of AI? So, you know, I think the media... Uh, Hollywood obviously has worked very hard and successfully so to scare uh, human beings from robots. Uh, you know, do, do robots have a terrible capacity, but so do human beings. Uh, so, you know, anyway, I, uh, I feel that robots get such a, such a bad rap uh, when in fact progress has always shown that people get an easier job making more money in better conditions consistently over the last few hundred years as progress in the industrial revolution has taken hold workers have just had nicer and nicer and nicer situations mm. so when people worry about all the job loss here and the job loss there i say listen our technology is going to create more and more industries we live in a capitalist society Wealth isn't given to us by the government. I, I'm the most anti-socialist person you'll ever meet. I believe that all of wealth is created by human beings. Do I have socialist tendencies to want to help uh, you know, the poor classes? Of course I do. But when it comes to a free market, without a free market, we won't grow. Uh, the more government intervenes, the more the economy will slow. Government is inherently inefficient. And as a philosopher, you want to minimize the inefficient factor as much as possible. But anyway, as an AI person, I try to you know stay away from government. Uh, so, Alex, uh, maybe we still stick on that topic because I I, I too uh, agree with that as well. And what I found um, is a 
I guess what's been interesting to me in this year is the um, uh, emergence of avatars and AI and uh, partner technologies that can work together. And one of those technologies is blockchain. And so I think fundamentally and inherently blockchain is something that's uh, revolutionary. Uh, it's it's more democratizing and it's allowing for free markets uh, and as well as free cash, cash flow has has your rebellion research looked into anything about blockchain um, or have any plans in the future to maybe work with uh, crypto invested investments? Well, our research side, uh, you know, has written substantially on blockchain. And from a personal side, I, you know, I, Cameron Tyler Winklevoss are uh, childhood friends of mine. Uh, I have followed uh, their work with both blockchain and uh, Gemini, their new uh, crypto exchange. And you know, it seems to be very promising. Um, but I'll say I don't have an expert background in blockchain. And I wouldn't want to waste your time uh, discussing something that I can't add great value on. So when it comes to blockchain, yes, I'm excited, but do I have uh, much of an opinion on it? Uh, no, absolutely. I have very, uh, very much a wait and see, not really sure. Whereas something like 5G, uh, 5G, I'm a true believer. You know, no one thought of Uber before 4G came along. And so when 5G comes along, we're going to have, you know, $100 billion, trillion dollar companies that are going to be created based on technology that we can't imagine yet because it isn't here. Mm. We couldn't have Uber without 4G. Thus, there will be other gigantic companies we can't have without 5G. So I'm very excited about 5G. And also to hit the health issue with 5G, because I think that's very relevant. And it's usually the first question on consumers' minds. Well, I, I, one of Rebellion's uh, smartest uh, clients who I just love to chat with is um, a researcher and a uh, top guy at MIT. And he tells me that, you know, yes, we'll, we're going to need more of these you know, 5G units because it has a shorter periphery since the waves don't uh, last as long. You know, 5G waves are much more condensed. They're shorter waves, and so they can't go as far as 4G waves. But the actual uh, carcinogenic uh, radiation that we're going to feel from these 5G machines will be equivalent to a microwave. Uh, so I've, you know, I've been told that it's, it's like having a microwave on 24-7. So, you know, it's not perfect. Mm. Uh, you know, there's definitely going to probably be an increase in cancer. I can't imagine a world where there isn't an increase in cancer, but how substantial will it be? Who knows? Um, and so 5G will come, it's inevitable, it's happening, it's here. But between the two of us, to say I can't imagine uh, that you know, cancer won't increase because of it is, you know, of course it will, uh, but it just, you know, at the same time, we're going to come up with using 5G, probably fantastic life-saving technologies right. that, which you know, could uh, you know work to you know mitigate uh, uh, you know the higher deaths from cancer. So uh, you know. Uh, Sorry to be so morbid on the subject. But. No, no, not at all. I think I find it interesting. This is something that our audience is to hear, no doubt. Um, so I'm thinking also, Alex, is like predicting the future. Again, you and I, you right now are, are saying, you know, I, I don't imagine a world without more cancer because of these ways, because of having a, a constant microwave onto our body. It is yes, very difficult yes. to predict the future. Is Are your machine learning algorithms, are these things investors or are they economists? Oh, economists, uh, you know, the portfolios that our clients uh, around the world get in their managed brokerage accounts or through hedge fund investors, uh, you know, these are just, uh, you know, we have two smart indexes. You know, one of them is a, a cash uh, equivalent. So there's no market exposure. It uh, has no beta. And so, you know, that doesn't, uh, the idea is it doesn't go down. It just makes, you know, between two and 10% a year. And uh, then we also have our uh, smart index, which is you know, just 100 stocks, global, you know, usually 30 billion, 40 billion average market size. We don't buy too small. We don't buy too big for the obvious uh, noise issues. 
when you get too big, you have too many factors. When you get too small, it's too hard to predict because you have too many. Sorry, we have too few factors that have too much, uh, you know, uh, weight. And so, you know, smaller companies have higher, you know, betas because they're not as diverse. Uh, which also brings me to the global economy, which is people love to ask, "What have you learned from working with a robot for over a decade?" Mm. And I'll tell you, uh, you know, I, obviously my own machine learning. Uh, you know, I went to the 2001 National Math Championships. So not the worst mathematician in the world, but at the same time, as I've taught at Cornell and as I've taught at other schools, uh, I do love to teach. It's one of my passions. I've actually been giving giving an AI seminar at Amherst College for over a decade, and I've been giving uh, guest seminars for Yale Business, Yale Executive Education, Yale Law, and uh, you know, it's 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 just a total passion. And actually, Rutgers, I'll be on Friday. It'll be my fourth year in a row where I'm giving a, a guest AI seminar at Rutgers. So, you know, so teaching is my passion, which also gets me to my intern project. So, if, if anyone's listening. And they're between the ages of 16 and 26 or even 30. I have a lot of grad students. So we generally, uh, I, I want juniors and seniors in high school up to grad students who have an interest in AI or technology and want uh, an internship, either remote or on site. You know, we had about 50 interns so far uh, in 2019 for rebellionresearch.com. It's a very strong intern program. And our interns go into great firms from McKinsey to Goldman Sachs, you know, Tesla, uh, Google. And so, you know, it's really something uh, I'm very proud of. It's almost like a little school, if you will, I guess, when you get to 50, you know, 50 interns a year. And, uh, and you know, and every intern, you know, uh, I think really enjoys themselves. It's, you know, it's, it's a place where, you know, people come and work on, uh, you know, technologies that they're excited about. Uh, probably the greatest amount want to work on AI with me, mm. but many of them come and want to work on other stuff, uh, automation and, uh, you know, I, I, listen, I love to learn. And so, you know, I, I really just have a, you know, a passion for that. And so I, I actually, I did an exploration with a Dartmouth engineer, on uh, you know applying machine learning to the weather just just for the fun of it why not uh, in fact our AI which powers rebellion research was originally built by my partner Spencer Greenberg for terrorist hunting when he worked for a CIA and NSA consulting firm and so his technology would look for terrorists via smart document search terrorist known terrorist A and known terrorist B are in the same apartment complex as unknown. XY and unknown XY is in the same soccer league as known terrorist C and known terrorist D. So all of a sudden, hey, this unknown unknown becomes a known unknown, and then the government can track this known unknown. And so we took that AI mm. technology, and between 05 and 07, we applied that to economics. Uh, myself, Spencer Greenberg, uh, Han Kui, who was a student of mine from Columbia Engineering, and, um, uh, you know, it was... Uh, you know, it, it was a lot of fun, uh, I've got to say. Uh, every day of running this business has been a lot of fun because, you know, what we do here is, you know, we focus on, you know, AI. We focus on education. Um, you know, managing the business, it, you know, takes some work, but uh, everything in life takes some work, of course. So, uh, you know, it, it's really, you know, half of an educational think tank for building researches and half of an AI development firm. And I guess we run money, too. So, Alex, uh, obviously, with a lot of experience, uh, you had some pretty uh, wicked smart people in your company as well, uh, designing these algorithms. Um, well, Jeremy Newton, who really probably was the engineer who got everything put together. I mean, it was Spencer's AI, but Jeremy was the one who adapted the AI, mm. made the AI work because Spencer's AI at first was a total failure. And Jeremy came in and made Spencer's, you know, failing AI work. And so, uh, you know, after Jeremy Newton actually... You know, left us sadly because you know Peter Thiel bought him out for was that was there for we went to work with Peter for like a decade and so uh, I mean I guess Peter Thiel's the dream and you want to do that and the views are pretty amazing but Jeremy is one of some of my best friends I was best man at his wedding he actually married one of my best friends uh, Monica Zemiska. Uh, so, well, well, Alex, since since you've the inception of the company, um, I, I don't know how many years ago was that? Like eighteen, nineteen, fifteen? Well, let's see. Oh, five is when the initial uh, corporation started, um, and we were in R and D for three years. And oh, seven is when we got our first customer. Okay. So, so let's you say know, like eight, eight uh, years. 
it's it's been it's it's been so long. Uh, so since since the know. inception of the company, Ox, I'm trying. I uh, want to ask you is, uh, you know, what have you learned uh, from AI and robotics since then, and what's maybe how has your thesis maybe changed? Sure. No. The, Initial Rebellion Capital uh, that was actually it was 04 May Rebellion Capital. So for about four, four and a half years, uh, Rebellion was just started as a uh, S Corp uh, to develop AI at the time. Oh, okay. So we went around and we raised money to do our AI R&D. And in fact, that spawned out of, to Rebellion spawned out of a think tank at uh, Amherst College. Amherst College uh, gave a funding grant to myself, the chair of the math department at Amherst College, Professor Tanya Lies, uh, Jeremy Newton, who's uh, also one of my founders of Rebellion Research, and um, we did K-means clustering uh, for economic predictions. And we found K-means clustering to be too puerile. K-means clustering in random forest, it's good for framing a problem initially. But if you really want to make accurate, specific predictions, it's useless. And that's what we found. We, you know, Jeremy and I decided we needed to pursue machine learning, specifically Bayesian machine learning, because Bayesian machine learning is machine learning that's designed for an ever-changing data set. And that's what the stock market, the financial world is, an ever-changing data set. Right. So Bayesian machine learning you know, deals with ever-changing data set perfectly. And so we then found Spencer, who was finishing his PhD at Columbia Engineering. And uh, so anyway, Dr. Spencer, who's also also one of my very close friends. Uh, you know, I, I, I love my co-founders. Uh, you know, we're all very close. You know, we all uh, love Rebellion. There's a lot of love at Rebellion Research, I must say. There's a, there's a lot of love. And you know, many of our clients have uh, been around, you know, the system works, it charges low fees, it beats the market. So many of our clients become close friends. And, you know, in fact, I'm going to a, you know, a client's show tomorrow and, you know, I'm seeing a client for dinner tonight. And so, so it, it's really become a you know, family, if you will, especially when, you know, we have so many interns, you know, last year was 27, this year is 50. Uh, so it's, it's definitely a very growing program. And so, you know, the students come and, you know, we work together. And the one thing I say to the students is I will only be upset with you if you decide to work on something you're not passionate about, because I don't want to work with you on a subject you're not passionate about. Like I, life's too short. You know, I, I lost my uh, sister-in-law of uh, cancer. Most beautiful girl in the world, brilliant. Uh, valedictorian of her architecture class at Princeton. Died 31, left three children. And I learned, I learned that you needed to carpe diem, seize the day without a doubt and live every day as if it could be your last. And so that's something I really try and instill in my, secondly, never underestimate how dumb the stock market is. So those are the two things I was trying to instill in my uh, interns, you know, so make the most of their lives and never underestimate how dumb the stock market is. So, Well, well maybe we stick on that topic then. Uh, I think I asked you this earlier. I don't know if it got, if it got answered, but like, what did you learn during that process of this initial startup when you're developing something that is, is very difficult to grasp for many people and, also, a lot of media and big time players are trying to take you down and come at you. What yeah. was that process like, and how did your uh, passion for this this uh, machine learning? Uh, what type of factor did that play in the sustainability yeah. of the company? Every company really is a, a tidal wave looking to take hold, uh, you know, over land that has tons of objects looking to stop it and your passion for your goal your business is the what's going to drive the tidal wave and everyone's going to try and stop you and be negative on it and be negative there's it's, it's amazing how much negativity there is looking back uh if i didn't love ai and machine learning i would never have done what i done but i would wouldn't have been myself i've loved machine learning for 20 years so this has been my natural destiny and I had to pursue this destiny. And so, you know, I always say, uh, you've really, really got to pursue the destiny that you, know, you feel in your heart because, you know, uh, life is you know, just far, far too short. But uh, being an entrepreneur is terrible. 
painful and everyone's going to tell you you're wrong. And the sad thing is you probably are wrong. If 90 to 95% of new businesses fail and you're starting a new business, there's a 90, 95% chance that your passion is misplaced. And in fact, Rebellion Research, our initial passion wasn't misplaced. It was to build a research product using AI. Maybe that would have worked. Maybe it would have worked better than what we ended up doing. But either way, your passion for your goal, like I said previously, will completely drive that tidal wave. Um, And if you want to make traction, uh, you need to be 110% committed. Uh, And if you don't have the passion for it, stay in your day job. Uh, The entrepreneurial life is brutal. It's painful. It's relentless. And you're going to have to pivot multiple, multiple times in unexpected ways at unexpected times. So it's a series of curveballs, one after another. Uh, Alex, leaders become leaders because they do something that's not externally validated. Uh, that's something kind of what you have been, uh, I guess, uh, attempting and in, in following for these past you know, 18 years. Um, what type of leadership qualities does it take to sustain a company like this? Mm. Yeah, no, you know, going back to what I said earlier, you have to be passionate for your goal. Uh, you have to be committed. Uh, if you're someone who wakes up at 10 a.m., uh, it's not going to happen. I try to get to the office these days uh, at 5 a.m. The more successful Rebellion Research is getting, the more I find myself getting driven. Uh, the larger we get as a company and the more I see our customer size increase, the more I feel like I need to work uh, to 7, 8 p.m., and getting to the office, like I said, some mornings as early as you know, 5, 6 a.m. Most mornings I try to be in by 6, 6.30 at the very latest. Mm. Alex, how many other machine learning, uh, I guess, predicting algorithms are out there right now? Do you, do you have a number? So I would say, first of all, 99.999% of machine learning algorithms in finance are for short-term trading. Uh, I really... Mm. <sighs> Rebellion still is... Uh, really one of the very few uh, economic uh, based machine learning predictors. Uh, it's a very tough thing to do. And, uh, you know, we it took us a lot of adapt, uh, a lot of adaptation to make our technology work, uh, but it's very tough to do. In terms of machine learning algorithms out there, it's a, um, a field that's proliferating throughout on a horizontal level all of our society and our economy. Uh, it's a, like I said, it's a simple outboard motor on a, a rowboat, if you will. It's something that can make very simple predictions. So whether you sell ice cream or whether you sell, uh, you know, cattle feed, you could use machine learning to make smarter decisions, buy more of said product at said time, and thus, you know, have more efficient cash flow and save money. Or, you know, understand this customer's habits at this time. I mean, it's, it's really very, you know, I always tell people, if you want to understand machine learning, start with the fantastic Benedict Cumberbatch movie, which actually was produced by a, an old buddy of mine, Teddy Schwartzman. Uh, really good. It's called The Imitation Game. And uh, Teddy's uh, firm has really taken off Black Bear Pictures, so I just want to give them a shout out. And uh, they, uh, they've done a lot of really cool movies. Um, and... You know, the imitation game really is the heart of what we're doing in Rebellion Research. Uh, you know, we're code breakers. We're just looking for patterns, if you will. We're looking for patterns that make Ferrari a, an attractive buy a year ago when the markets are crashing. And markets are crashing for passionate reasons. The economy is strong. The wealthier are still spending. If the wealthier are spending and the economy is strong, Ferrari has a higher than average chance of our performance. Uh, especially at the time when the AI first uh, liked Ferrari, it's like 13 times or 16 times PE, and Ferrari consistently been above 20. You know, it's it's an extremely premium brand. So that you know, Ferrari has been like a 60% returner. But that's also something about the rebellion research. We hold stocks for sometimes two, three, four years. So the system will buy a stock for up to 100 positive economic and fundamental reasons. And if those reasons stay, uh, there's no reason that AI won't hold uh, you know, 
said company for uh, many years. So it's a really very long-term situation. Alex, while I have you here, I'd like to pick your brain. Uh, people in this impact space, uh, social enterprises, they are all claiming um, we need to think long-term about our business decisions today that are going to impact tomorrow. And that these certified B corporations, these uh, companies that are focusing on measuring more than just profit, um, they seem to do much, at least be more consistent in the long run. So therefore, a theory suggests uh, if we all go towards a long-term stock exchange, uh, it could re- we could really have a uh, both an environmental and societal impact of raising the poverty and reducing you know, our carbon emissions or say whatever. Uh, this is a theory. Uh, how do you see uh, machine learning and long-term uh, stock pro- or long-term investments uh, changing the future uh, uh, for society and the environment in the long run? And have you seen any data to back this? I, I think that machine learning will just help increase uh, the l- lowering of cost. You know, I think the you know, fees and finance are dropping out on their own, and I think that. Automation and machine learning specifically will only help uh, expedite uh, this process where you know where fees will drop. Um, and in terms of you know social impact, uh, you know I have um, you know I have trouble seeing direct social impact. Uh, you know beyond the general you know theory that a society that continually you know, technologically expands, has a more efficient uh, carbon footprint. So, you know, but at the same time, I think you're going to see consumers make choices based on uh, footprint. And I think, I I believe that as AI machine learning becomes more and more in vogue in society, uh, you'll have more and more machine learning investors. You'll have more and more machine learning clients, people who want their money preferentially run by machine learning over a human being as you know people are more and more comfortable with the data and they see that you know maybe an average machine learner off the shelf uh, that's available for free from Google could beat on average uh, a US mutual fund manager you know it, over time you know mm. might uh, might become more and more you know you, you've got decades of uh, you know media that have just absolutely petrified uh, you know, consumers when it comes to AI and machine learning. And most consumers are very uh, you know, skittish uh, when it comes to that. And so the idea of letting an AI or machine learning system take hold of their wallet, you know, that takes uh, some getting used to. That, you know, that, that's a comfort level that uh, you know, right. I, haven't, uh, I haven't seen quite take hold as much as uh, I'd like. Yeah. But it, it's taking hold, but it is taking hold, and it's taking hold greater every single year. We see, you know, you know whether it's our, our own website, which yeah, I mean, we had a record website uh, volume. I think it was sixty nine thousand people visited our website last month for November of two thousand nineteen. You know, uh, so you know, we, we continue to see more interest in our firm. But at the same time, if you look at machine learning and AI, it is expanding now. So you've had a few AI bubbles from the 50s and then the 70s and the 90s. What's different about AI this time is that there's a lot of profitability underwriting the AI research. Mm, okay. Be it rebellion research, For which risk. to many people is a, you know, pioneering out their technology from, you know, we, you know, we're profitable to a Google, which is like one of the most profitable companies on the planet that is trying to jump on everything AI machine learning possible. Uh, same with Facebook, same with Netflix, same with Tesla. And the fact is, find me a company that isn't trying to jump on machine learning. I, you know, I came across uh, John Hess, the CEO of Hess, at a dinner the other night. And he goes, you know, I see all these energy firms jumping on machine learning. I said, it's funny, actually, my friend just got hired as machine learning head for a shell. And yeah, they are jumping on it because it's so useful. Because well, you know, Hess has to look at that too. I said, hmm. yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's amazing. An entire company like Hess, you know, has you know, according to the CEO, almost you know, no AI. And so, uh, you know, the efficiencies that can be added and the value that can be brought there uh, is tremendous. And so, you know, it's not 
it, it's not going to have a bust this time because you've got profitability driving uh, the further interest. And so as you, you know, also people can take machine learning and create simple products online and simple services now. So, you know, whether it's your multinational company or startups and garages across America, machine learning can be used profitably. And, you know, bubbles fail when the profits aren't there. And that's what happened in the dot-com 2000, 2001. It took time for the profits to push those dot-coms back up. And they did. From Amazon to eBay, they came back. And so this time around, we don't have a lack of profits. We have tremendous profits. And so Singularity, according to Gordon Ritter, who I think is the smartest machine learning uh, man in finance that I've come across uh, years, we'll have Singularity in five to seven years in finance. So well, I look forward to that. Interesting. Uh, yeah. And Singularity for, for folks listening to this too, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Alex, but Singularity is like the point in time when AI like overcomes or like, I, I guess an outsmarted human being. Is that kind of like the, the consensus of Singularity? Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, think of it as a technology that can do it on its own. And so you don't create the matrix. It creates its own matrix and tells you how to do it. Okay. Uh, so yeah, and that's it's really you know according to Gordon, uh, five to seven years. Uh, you know, I yeah, I mean, you know, there's a degree of singularity to rebellion research is the thing that there is, uh, and that the program is on its own now and has been on its own, learning on its own now for well over a decade. But the idea that it could have started on its own and done it without us feeding it, you know, that no, I mean, you know, we're talking about a technology that will pick its own data and pick its own style of investing. Uh, from a holding period to its uh, you know, portfolio optimization, whether it wants to put 2%, 1%, or you know, 5% into one asset that won't have any input from the human being. So we're talking about an entirely designed uh, ecosystem for investing. It's, it's, it's uh, what will happen at the end, who knows? Will it be a, a day trader? Short-term trader, will we have multiple? The idea is we'll have multiple singularities in time: day traders, short-term traders, long-term traders, uh, and the various strands of singularity will, you know, find what they're best at and try to hone in on those skills and, you know, uh, you know, kind of you know, yeah. further their strengths. That's an interesting take. Uh, you know, I feel like a lot of trends uh, don't just happen on a whim. Uh, they're just built up of it's a, it's a big ball of momentum. If you look at everybody any, learns from each other. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, momentum built up. You said the 50s, the 70s, the 90s, and now it's different yeah. because of uh, you can underwrite it now. Uh, and so that has to yeah. do with, with insurance and risk. Maybe yeah. talk a little bit about um, what your clients uh, fear when they come into the company first. Uh, is it their data protection? Uh, is it, uh, you know, hacking? Oh, no, 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 The clients are, well, first of all, the clients that we get, you know, 65, 70% of the time, they work in machine learning. So they don't really fear anything. Correct. But the clients that don't work in machine learning and are curious about machine learning and are curious and they see our returns and they say, hey, you know, your returns are above my returns over the last decade and your fees are very attractive. But I just don't know how I feel about putting five, 10, 50, 100 million dollars under the management of an AI system. Mm. And so that is, at the end of the day, when you boil it down, uh, the number one uh, barrier to entry for our clients. And so once they get past that, they need to get comfortable. And some of these clients take years to get comfortable. Mm. Our you know, largest clients now, uh, I think first came to us four or five years before their initial investment. And then that initial investment, so it, it's, it's, it can be a very long process. And so but the good news is that it's increasing at a very fast rate, actually, uh, especially lately. I, it's everything I could have hoped for, to be honest. I'm very, very, very happy with how much society is embracing AI and machine learning. It's exactly what I would have most wanted. Uh, so I fell in love with uh, my wife, and I felt I couldn't have been luckier. Between my wife and my daughter, I you know 
I, I feel the most blessed person in the world. I always think about the Lou Gehrig, luckiest man in the world speech. But I also feel very lucky that our society is embracing a technology that I have believed in now for two decades. Mm. So, um, you know, I feel very good about that. Yeah, I think the adoption of AI is coming, and it's coming uh, rather fast. Um, so, uh, Alex, maybe maybe explain this. Um, uh, going forward with this company, um, do, what type of like impact do you see this really having on society if if people do adopt this long term machine learning faith if people are saying you know what I, this is obviously objectively outperforming the S&P 500 year after year everyone goes towards uh, in, in theory everyone goes towards uh, you know machine learning investments approach um, what does the future look like Two, two words, efficient markets. As more and more AI systems control the capital that moves our markets, we are going to have fewer 87 crashes and 29 crashes. Okay, right. So you have much more of a situation where you've got markets that are extremely efficient right now. We're talking about uh, fewer crashes but also, you know, fewer jump upwards. Uh, the markets are, are not going to go at uh, rates that, you know, are irrational because you're going to have fewer and fewer irrational players. And so you, when I say never underestimate how dumb the market is, that's because the market is controlled by human beings. Human beings, as Hobbes said, the passionate man is the dumb man. And never do people get more passionate than when it has to do with their own money. And so... The stock market is the ultimate manifestation of a passion-driven entity. And so as we take more and more passion out of what drives uh, the markets, we're going to have more and more efficient markets. They're not going to move as crazily, and there's going to be less volatility, and they will be more efficient, uh, ideally. But the, the second uh, coupled with is we're in a whole new world now of cheap money where whether it's a Republican or Democrat, there is no political incentive to make the U.S. dollar expensive because when you make the U.S. dollar more expensive, you're clearly slowing down the economy. And so whether you're even Bernie Sanders or you're Donald Trump, you, you know, it's hard to find those two to agree on anything, but they both agree on 0% money. And when you get everyone to agree that money should be free, you know, uh, we're in a whole new uh, world where almost you have to invest in the stock market because inflation is going to move quicker and prices are going to increase at an accelerated pace. And so I, I think, yes, I think we'll have more efficient markets, but I also think that inflation will be something that will become more and more and more of an issue every single year, probably until you and I are both dead. Uh, Alex, the argument that we can slow down technology is like non-existent. Like that, that horse has already left the barn. It will continue to grow and get better. And you know, according to Moore's law, right, half its costs, or like I think it's like double its efficiency, or something like that. Um, well, you know, the dark ages slowed down uh, human beings. So if China and the U.S. fall and we have social unrest and anarchy takes hold, uh, yes, technology will be slowed down. Uh, so. You know, do, you know, socialism took down Venezuela, the USSR. I do believe that socialism will probably inevitably take down the U.S. And then when the U.S. is taken down, uh, we'll have another dark ages. And so it won't just go on forever. You know, the human beings are, you know, a, a very warmongering people. And, you know, we also have a tendency to give things away for free. So I think it's inevitable we will enter, sadly, another dark ages. Um, I don't know if it's 50, 100, 200 years, but, uh, you, know, uh, you know, the history has a tendency of repeating itself. Yeah, you know, it's something, uh, this is kind of a side note, but you mentioned Venezuela, and I read uh, a report that was like people in free market countries, like, uh, have a tendency after a while to start um, regressing towards like a socialistic mindset and then people in socialistic societies uh, 
continually want to go to a, a free market mindset and a free market economy. So I found that really interesting uh, in kind of going yes. with like, you know, movements oh. and trends uh, in around the world. Um, so the, well, for, yeah, go for it. For me, the Roman Empire is the greatest educator of where our future will go. Uh, we've got so. a thousand years. Well, you've got a thousand years of human uh, societal development, and you can learn just to, for me, endless uh, endless lessons. And so, you know, there you had the tendency and desire to spend more domestically. You had people who wanted to participate in the military fewer and fewer. All of the exact same trends that are happening in the U.S. happened in Rome from 180 A.D. to 476 when it was taken down by uh, Tildon. So it, it's not like we're not exactly repeating everything that happened to the Roman Empire. Uh, so it's, it's, there's, nothing, there's nothing new about the playbook. Uh, it's the exact same playbook that happened after Marcus Aurelius' death. You had an increase in government spending. You had an increase in currency spending, money became cheaper, citizenship became cheaper. Everything, every trend that's happening in the U.S., that's been happening in the U.S. over the last 20 to 50 years, happened in the Roman Empire during its fall. So it is inevitable that, sadly, uh, the U.S. will fall in some way. Uh, how, you know, whether it's as uh, violent a fall as 476 was for Rome, I don't know. Probably, um, you know, probably not. Um, you know, but um, you know, you, you know, at the same time, the Holocaust was only seventy years ago. We're not that removed from mass evil by a G eight country. Uh, Alex, I guess the argument I was trying to make was uh, for equality purposes, uh, we're never going to have equality. I think that's a theory. I don't think that's ever going to happen. Oh, but, no, of course. Yes, yes. 100% but, agree with you. But yes. technology uh, can be used as a tool or a weapon. Um, you know, what are some questions that maybe uh, people in machine learning or organizations uh, must be thinking about uh, in order so, you know, the common person who doesn't have access to a computer right now, I think it's like only like 20% in non-urban areas um, uh, in the United States. Uh, what questions do we have to be asking uh, in order so these people don't get so far left behind? Now, Kevin, uh, you know, the great thing about today's society is that you can learn new skills three weeks to a month. One, two, what platform are we on? We're on Zoom right now, founded by a Chinese immigrant who didn't even speak English, now is worth several billion dollars. So what technology does, as you said, is it is a great equalizer. The Cult 45 is, uh, was the original great equalizer. No, technology is the real great equalizer. Your point about that couldn't be more correct. Uh, it's going to, as long as you know, we give technology a place to grow, we'll continue to grow and grow faster and faster and faster. And it will allow the poorest of the poor to become educated and become the richest of the rich. And it's something that I love about my favorite part of America is that it allows the poorest of the poor to become the richest of the rich and it allows meritocracy to take hold. I believe in meritocracy over anything else and I want to see the smartest people uh, have the most power. Uh, you'll have the most efficient economy. More companies will be created. Zoom was an idea. That idea became a, a multi-billion dollar entity which paid taxes, which employed people, which made the economy go up. Why has the economy grown? Because companies like Zoom have been created. And so what happens in these social societies is they get there and they're like, oh yay, free stuff. Oh wait, we're not creating Zooms anymore. We're not creating Ubers. The value, our, our money is not buying as many you know, corn, bags of corn and bags of rice as it used to because nobody wants our currency because we don't have things that make our currency valuable. The only thing that makes a currency valuable is the economy behind that currency. And if that economy doesn't have new ideas like Zoom, Google, Uber, then that currency will fall in value. And so one of the many things I've learned in working with a robot the last decade plus is how much the U.S. not only dominates, but controls the global economy. You've got the U. Our AI has subdivided the U.S. economy into 200 sub-industries. And 
Japan and Germany and Switzerland are next, and they have about 10 sub-industries, and that's about it. And it's so hard for the AI to invest in any other countries because the risk becomes so high because these economies are very simplistic, whether it's Chile being simply based on copper or Brazil simply based on you know, steel and oil or Australia, which has become basically 45% based on China's industrial output. Hmm. You've got a lot of gigantic countries whose economies are not comparable to the U.S. diversification and have major alliances on one, two, three assets or other countries. And so when you have few factors that control much of the outcome, it becomes hard to make a prediction. It's like PG&E. PG&E may go up as a stock or may not. What's California going to do? Who knows? There aren't many factors, and the factors are very binary. And so it's impossible for the AI to make an intelligent, uh, you know, kind of risk-accurate call because there's just no way to know. It becomes too much of a gamble. Mm. And things that become a gamble, you know, we can't invest in. You know, Buffett always says there's no called strikes in finance. And so we can take a pass on any country and take a pass on any stock. And if there's too much risk and if the, the potential positive outcome for that stock or asset class is based on too few other factors, then we just move on to the next uh, asset that has you know, many positive factors. You know, ideally, the AI wants 70 to 120 unrelated positive factors from a strong currency to strong industry to strong balance sheet to strong income to strong Multiples, strong multiples relative to its competitors. And so, you know, a lot of these very simplistic ratios can be extremely important for the system. Interesting. Interesting. Well, uh, Alex, you know, I had a great time uh, come on, uh, having you on the show today. Uh, we talked about a lot, talked about a lot of uh, bold predictions coming up here. Uh, or actually, we didn't talk about really any predictions, but how your machine learning uh, can pick up on a lot of predictions. Uh, we talked a lot about technology and being a tool or a weapon uh, and, and what decisions and questions we need to be asking ourselves before we make some decisions. So, uh, Alex, Lice, the, the last question I have for you uh, is, is not what is your definition of a really but I want your boldest prediction uh, for 2030 uh, coming up. Uh, Social revolution in China. Not a doubt. Social revolution in China. What does that look like? I'm actually curious. (laughs) Uh, I don't know how bad it gets. What uh, what do you mean by that, I guess? Well, see what's going on in Hong Kong and imagine that's spreading to hundreds of cities. Mm. Okay. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Interesting. All right, Alex. Well, hey, I appreciate your time coming on here. I'm glad we got connected. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Any last words for our audience uh, about more information about uh, yes. Rebellion Research well, and the internships? Yeah, well, rebellionresearch.com, uh, you know, you can open an account in 71 countries uh, around the world in five minutes. And, you know, we've beaten the S&P 500 for over uh, 13 years. And we offer internships to 16-year-old to, actually, we have 40-year-olds who are interns. We've had people who taught at Johns Hopkins and USC. So the internship program has a, a, a large age range. Just had, you know, you have to be thirsty for hard work and knowledge. I, I, can, I can be a tough boss, but I'm a very loving one. And so, yeah, we're rebellionresearch.com. Uh, check us out. And uh, it was absolutely my pleasure being on the show. I had so much fun chatting with you. It's always great to have an expert on like you, Alex. Uh, for Alex Flies, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there. Uh, learn about machine learning, folks. Uh, take that risk and always keep it real. <laughs>